0: Life happens with Pinelo Mutine. Pinelo Mutine on SAFM. On SAFM. So on the twenty eighth of January this year, Biz Community in partnership with South Africa's leading business trends consultants—you all know them, Flux Trends—will be hosting Biz Trends twenty twenty one, and the theme is towards new North and new narratives. Bronwyn Williams is a futurist, economist, as well as business trends analyst from uh, Flux Trends, and uh, I think we've just lost her on the line now, but we will try and get back to her in a short while. And really, they're just going to be. Doing a virtual event um, and it will be part of Business Community's January Biz Trends report. Um, you know, Biz Community has this annual report that they have, which uh, annually features hundreds of trends, uh, predictions from industry, thought leaders across 19 sectors and a dynamic and diverse crew selector um, has been selected to try and put people's thoughts together. It will be led by Dion Chang. We all know Dion Chang from uh, Flux Trends. So Bronan I think is back on the line. Bronnen, thank you so much for, for, for staying with us. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting us. Happy so, New Year to you and your listeners. Yes, let, let's talk about the theme, Towards New North and New Narratives.
1: Yes, so what we've really seen is that last year was obviously a year of quite a lot of chaos and having to cope with things, so it was quite a reactionary year. And what we're starting to see is that this year has got to be a case of rebuilding in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have to start actually being proactive about the future and heading towards whatever that new north is going to be. We can't just be trading water for another year. Because, of course, we don't know how long these things are going to continue for, but we have to start dealing with what we have. You know, As the old adage goes, you know, do what you can with what you have where you are.
0: Bronwyn, you know, I I was having a conversation with a colleague um saying to a colleague that in fact, uh from my my reading, I understand futurists to have always warned about um pandemics and and their cycles and so on. So, in a way, it's not as if this was not information that was out there. The question is, even though futurist people like yourselves have been talking about you know what could be an upcoming pandemic obviously there were no details to what it's going to be um why is it that we still were so caught of guard
1: well, it comes back to the old question of the difference between importance and urgency. You know, mm. So we do know things like pandemics are things that are part of our world that we live in, and they are always important things, but they're not always the most urgent thing from a political or from an organizational perspective. We've always got stuff to be dealing with day to day. You know, we've got sales targets to meet if we're a company, if we're a government, we've got voters to please, we've got you know things to do, we've got to keep the lights on. And there's always a lot of noise that keeps us busy. So very few institutions and Individuals have taken the space and time to actually put those contingency plans in place. We really have seen this over the last year or so, the last sort of 12, 13 months that we've been going through the whole pandemic process, that the countries that did have some sort of plans in place that have taken the time to focus on what is important, not only what is urgent, we're in a much better place to start dealing with it. Now we can refer to some of the Asian nations who have had pandemic or at least epidemic scares in the more recent past, Mm. since the year 2000. Mm. They already had those sort of wheels in motion. So we're able to get those processes rolling a little bit faster than the rest of us. I think that's really the lesson to take away if you are in a leadership position, at business, even in your own life as an individual, that we have to make time for what is important because there will always be something urgent that can attract our attention if we don't force ourselves to take the time to focus on those important threats and opportunities. We shouldn't only really make this about, of course, doom and gloom. We also have to start thinking proactively about where we headed and what we can
0: be doing. How, how important is it, um that who whoever heeds the how important is it that the person that is you know saying let's be aware that they don't have the kind of title that you have because <laughs> <laughs> because i'll I'll tell you now um from a conversation we've just had um that it's so important to understand the profile of the person that is that's warning that's giving a warning. And and you were just saying now, if leaders are listening, you know, they need to yeah. understand that this is important. And I'm struggling with understanding with understanding why anybody would not take this seriously if if pandemics have the power to completely decimate. So, you know, economies have battled, companies have shut down, people as lost have lost jobs, people have lost lives. So is it because where they get this from is somebody like yourself with the title that says futurist is is that part of the problem is there a need for a more collaborative effort in making this message um
1: more inclusive well i think there's a few ways to look at that i think the first thing is of course to understand that most leaders spend most of their time working in their businesses and not working on their businesses or if you're a government you spend most of your time working sort of in your portfolio but not on where you are headed and what you're going and i think that that's just a symptom of our times. so we are so sort of caught up in what's going on in the world there's always something to attract our attention there's always another crisis in fact as south africans we know this Mm. we were in a very turbulent time before the pandemic even happened there were many things Mm. to attract the attention of viewers be they corporate or be they in the public sector. So I think that that is something that we have to be aware of there. So I don't think it's only just a a lack of willing Mm -hmm. to have these conversations, there's a lack of resources. And by resources, I mean time and, of course, the costs that go with it because Mm. it costs, to put together a contingency plan for something that you know could happen. There's a statistically probable opportunity that could happen, but it's not guaranteed Mm. to happen. Whereas you know that there are bills that have to be paid next month. That's a guaranteed threat that you have to deal with. So it is very, very hard. That's why it's often quite helpful for organizations to engage with people like ourselves who have the luxury of working at that higher level. That's what we do. That is our core function is to look at things that leaders who are busy trying to work in their businesses and achieve their day-to-day tasks simply don't have the luxury of doing. And that's why it's often helpful to get an outside view in there. There's also a quite interesting thing known as the sort of 10th man principle, which Mm. if you don't have the budget or the luxury Mm. to actually engage with a service like ourselves, Mm. you know, bring in external consultants. What that is, is you basically stick someone up in your team to have the mandate of being the naysayer, for want of a better word, to play the devil's advocate you challenge the status quo. And you give that person the space to say that and the mandate to actually speak out against the consensus in your group. And that is, of course, the other issue that we have to contend with when Mm. it comes to dealing with threats and big opportunities. There require change, and change is scary. Mm. Even planning for a potentially disastrous occurrence can be scary. Mm. And what too often tends to happen in boards or in meetings or in teams, if someone starts talking about the future, whether it is a, a positive dream they have or something they want to progress towards, or whether it's a threat that they see, those conversations get shut, shut down, down because mm. they're not comfortable. And we haven't given people mandate and the mandate and the space to be able to step up and actually be heard. And that is a failing of leadership. We have to allow people to have those dissenting voices and we have to encourage the hard conversations because otherwise we end up playing catch up and reaction all the time when things like 2020 happen. And we have to also be very, very aware that 2020 is not necessarily a once in a lifetime occurrence. Mm. Things like climate change mean that, you know, our, our Earth's natural patterns and environment is changing. Mm. Means that there is a very real risk that we could have more zootronic yeah. diseases as climate patterns more frequently, change. More frequently. You know, so we have to prepare, prepare for those sorts of ideas. There's other threats that we know could happen that we tend not to think about because they're too big and too scary. And the one I always come back to is the whole threat of nuclear warfare. <laughs> so I know this is probably the last thing your listeners want to think about. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that I'm paid to think about on a day-to-day basis. The reality is that we've had the means available to us to literally destroy our planet World War II. And we were lucky that 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 sort of disaster hasn't happened yet. But we have to understand that it is a more than 0% risk. There is a statistically viable probability that this could happen. And, you know, these are the conversations we try not to have uh, in the macro consensus, the things we have a direct control over. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't be having them. Rather, we should be talking about them and we should be scoping out that full breadth of where the future can be taking us. We should be looking as far ahead as we can and as broad as we can from the extreme positive fringes of the future frontier all the way through to the extreme negative ones. Because Gosh. having that preparedness and having that conversation buys you time. And businesses that have taken the time to think about worst and best case scenarios can react much faster to opportunity. That's a competitive advantage. Mm. And they also buy themselves time. You know, it's just days or minutes or months. The businesses that had a plan B in place before we went into lockdown, before it was even part of conversation, were in a better place than the businesses that were playing catch up. So, so that's the sort of conversations we try to have with people. You have to go into those difficult places. You have to think about what is possible, not just what you want to happen as we mm. go forward. So
0: um, you know, having said all of this, and this makes perfect sense, and I'm sure a lot of people. Are hearing what you're saying, as you said earlier, you know, it's not so much about being not having the willingness. It's just so that it's because there's so many other things happening and this is not quite urgent. Is it that we always need to be so close to the point of that reality before we are encouraged um, to develop something, to be innovative, to to move in that direction? And I'm thinking now (laughs) of South Africa not so long ago was faced with real threat of of lack of water and i remember seeing a number of companies coming up with all sorts of wonderful innovative ways of, of purifying seawater of cloud seeding of all kinds of wonderful things as well um and i just thought to myself isn't that amazing i just i just wish that the momentum uh, from business, from from everybody would remain. In other words, those who can fund these projects continue to, even when we've had rain. You know what I'm saying? Um, and yeah. and and also, science doesn't get tired of it because now we've had rain, and then it's not it's not interesting and challenging anymore. So what I'm saying is, when you talk about um, nuclear warfare, my goodness. <laughs> you know i i don't want to experience something close to that before we have a solution um yeah. <laughs> so so what is it going to take for us to really have the conversation that
1: we don't want to have well, I think just having this conversation right now is already part of that larger conversation. But there's many tools that businesses can employ, things like actually doing like sort of war game scenario playing, which is actually very interactive and quite fun with your with your board members or with your team members. And you actually sort of play through the different scenarios, what could happen if your competitors do something differently or what would happen if the external environment changes. And the RAND Corporation was the sort of founders that started doing that in the sort of beginning part of last century. And they were very, very successful at playing out those scenarios. In fact, that's why I thought of the nuclear war, for example. They're the ones that came up with the whole sort of game theory thing that has resulted in us actually not having a disaster. The fact of the, the whole concept is sort of mutually assured destruction. But they came to that conclusion through sort of playing through and workshopping these concepts. So we definitely encourage you, if you do have an organisation, to put some time into your calendar, into your general strategic planning calendar, to think about the sort of the farther future This is a broader future scope that you could be walking into. Not just the things within your control, which is what business strategy tends to focus on, but also looking at things outside of your control and having some sort of sort of plan b or some sort of steps in place that you can react to very very quickly should the sign points post towards something going very very wrong or very very rough in your environment it's all about buying that time and if we say a lot in the sort of change in the, the future space that we work in the businesses the individuals the nations that do the best are the ones that are able to adapt quickly and react very quickly in fact being more proactive to things like change but i think you made quite a good point earlier and that crisis as much as it feels very very difficult and very unnatural to us in the moment it does seem to give sort of big ideas lying around space to breathe and that's the sort of a sort of light at the end of the tunnel that lasts heart full way of looking at things like what happened last year and what is still happening right now is that in times of chaos and change and crisis new ideas get space to breathe and get actioned. now the the opportunity there is to harness those ideas and run with them, to change the world or your business or your strategy in a positive direction, to take advantage of that momentum, to actually implement those things. The danger is to sort of like let that crisis go to waste. And that's like a phrase we heard a lot last year about how we can't let a good crisis go to waste. It's a great time to sort mm-hmm. of get rid of the dead wood to see where the stagnant and the sort of cholesterol-logged parts of your business or your country or your plans, your systems are and to sort of take that out because we can't afford to have fat in times of crisis. It's a great time to clear out the weeds and to rethink about what your core strengths are, where you're really going, where you should be focusing on, and to actually start implementing and trying some new ideas. It's very important to keep that momentum going and that you don't let the moment pass and that you don't end up having someone that becomes a victim of change rather than someone who's actually driven to new levels of success through the
0: difficult times. Let's take a calls, Bronwyn. I think it's a very interesting subject. 11 WhatsApp's on 0614-104-107. There will be a virtual event happening. Uh, it's being put together by a business community as well as Flux Trends. And the theme this year will be Towards New North and New uh, Narratives. And I think there's a lot that we we can unpack here and uh, continue to do that. So start dialing in on 11 714 What's up on 0614 104, 104 Life happens with Pinelo no Modine. Bronwyn Williams is from Flux Trends. She's a futurist, she's an economist, and uh, she's a business analyst as well there. So they are going to have um, a a virtual event. It's called um, Towards New North, and that's the name of the theme, Towards New North and New Narratives. This is a Biz Trends 2021. They usually have uh, Biz Trends reports every single year, but this year they're going to have this particular theme, Towards New North and New Narratives. And it's going to happen on Thursday the 20th. 28th of January. So you can just uh, put that in your calendar if you're really interested. I also think that the list of of, of, um, people who are going to be contributing to this conversation is actually quite amazing. Can we talk a little bit about the people that are going to be part of this conversation before we uh,
1: continue? Yeah, so it is a, it's an event put together by this community, so they'll be able to fill you in on all the, all the different speakers there. Mm-hmm. But um, Dion Chang, who is the founder of Flex Trends, is going to be hosting the event, and he's going to be talking through all of the general trends that we look at, so using our normal trends methodology, you know, that's technology trends, retail trends, economic trends, diplomatic trends, and of course social trends too, and the natural ones as well. So it's going to cover a, a wide range there, and then what I'm going to be speaking about at the event is actually about narratives themselves, mm-hmm. and about how the words We use the phrases that we use, and the sort of the way we communicate with each other, things like fake news and all the rest of it, Mm -hmm. how the words that we use actually can tend to become self fulfilling prophecies, Mm -hmm. and how we should therefore be quite careful about the sort of narratives that we're both consuming and sharing. So I think that's quite a big conversation to have, oh, as we know, you're conspiracy and <laughs> fake news of being quite <laughs> dominant in popular consciousness. Are you kidding us? Are you kidding us? It's been
0: quite lit, I must say, for the past hour. So so just give me a, a small sense, Bronwyn, of, of where that's going to go. So in other words, the... You're saying let's be very aware of the narrative. So in a, in a business sense, just give me a sense of
1: what that means. Yeah, okay, so perfectly. So there was a Nobel Prize winning economist, his name is Robert Schiller, and he came up with this new form of economics that he's called or termed narrative economics. So mm-hmm. I think people are quite familiar with the concept of things like behavioral economics, mm-hmm. you know, like yes. the whole way that we have different biases. So narrative economics is the next sort of big idea that we think is worth talking about because it speaks to how the words, in particular the media (laughs) and politicians use, can both accelerate and prolong or shorten and reduce the length of economic cycles, which means that if we're using our public platforms to speak the right sort of words and get the right sort of memes into popular consciousness, we can actually shrink recession time. So it's quite interesting sort of Uh, whole preface that he's put together and that he's based his work on. I think there's a lot of resonance to what is going on with the world coming out of COVID, hopefully, but we're getting towards the end of all of that within the next few months because there's a lot of parallels between the way that narratives move through markets and then change markets and minds as they move through them and the way that actual viruses do. So it's quite a nice analogy there between sort of economics and epidemiology, actually, when you start looking at it that way. We're trying to connect those dots there and actually look at how words and phrases that are repeated and messages that are put out mm. can actually change behavior and become, once again, self-fulfilling processes. So it becomes a very important conversation to have with the stories we tell each other yeah. about our futures, about who we are, mm-hmm. and actually shape who we are. And I think that from a South African context, we understand that. that yeah. We understand how our national journey has been shaped by the words mm. that have been both imposed upon us mm-hmm. and the words that we've used to describe ourselves. Mm. It's such so how, an important... For example, the Rainbow Nation narrative, yes. how it went from being something of hopeful yeah. to something quite cynical. Yeah. And you know, what's the next narrative that we're going to have? How are we going to talk about ourselves? We talk about ourselves as a failed state yeah. that can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Huh. If we talk about ourselves as the next renaissance that has a very different conversation, very different connotations.
0: Wow. Because I'm thinking, and as you are absolutely right, because markets are literally driven by sentiment rather than actual fact, oftentimes. Exactly. Oftentimes.
1: Irrational rationality, as they yeah. say, or semi rational yeah. <laughs> conversations. And, and and that's also the case of the self fulfilling prophecies and how you've got these sort of, as we call them, information cascades mm. that at a particular or a particular concept will fall into popular consciousness. And because it becomes popular, it becomes even more popular because it gets spread. And we can see this in stock market sort of panics, booms, and busts. And just the way people pile into particular stocks, like Tesla, for example, even Elon Musk is saying the stock price is too high. You guys are buying too much of this stuff, you know, because it's being bought on sentiment, not on fundamentals. But it's very, very interesting to see that that the words we use, the narratives and the means that we have can actually be leading indicators as to where the world is going. So they can almost be used to both sort of predict and to change the future. But and it was is is so interesting yeah, from a futurist perspective is that as we talk about the future, we change it. Yes. So if we are doing our job correctly, when we predict, our predictions should not come true because they should cause some sort of action that yes. changes where we end up, which is a very interesting sort of conundrum to think mm. through.
0: So, so I would have said in my past life that so what is required is leadership to be the custodians of the narrative. I've now since evolved into believing that top-down approach doesn't work. And so you need kind of like a buy-in. How do we get then to have a common narrative?
1: Well, that, that is what's interesting about our times compared to, say, previous depressions, which is which is talked about in the whole sort of narrative economics literature in the past. You know, information was centrally controlled. There was a particular narrative that was imposed upon people through central media. We don't have that anymore. Now we've got social media, which means that the whole concept of memes moving through society, much like viruses do, is a much better analogy because it does come bottom up. And we know this from following trends, whether you're on Twitter or Facebook or you're just talking to your friends. We know how ideas don't flow neatly from top to bottom anymore. Ideas tend to take on a life of their own. And there's, there's both dangers and, of course, good things to come from this. So sort the of dangers are things like fake news and conspiracy that are very hard to stop because you can't just centrally sort of censor them anymore. But at the same time, it does mean that just the conversations we have with our peers, with our friends, with our own groups, if we are part of a more positive narrative, we start that starts to become also self-reinforcing, also filtered through society. I think it's a virus that we've had to build. It is once again the perfect analogy. because we know that we must social distance, we must use masks, we must you know, respect people around us. Because one interaction with a stranger can cause someone you know multiple nodes down the line to get sick. The same idea can be that one conversation that changes someone's mind from a more sort of negative outlook to a more positive outlook can once again be contagious because moods are very contagious. And huh. this we can see through economic literature too, the whole sort of madness of the crowds. You have moments of irrational exuberance and then moments of, you know, absolute panic. That's the sort of bulls and bears movements yeah. of the marketplace. But- so it's quite interesting to see how all these trends from markets and money Go through to the madness of crowds, if you want to put it that way, mm. and it's all working on the same things, which is part rational. but not entirely rational. The way that our human networks are made up.
0: They're threats, though, as well, though, um, in the sense that big money also knows how to under- how to use this kind of uh, uh, ground up kind of approach where social media is there. I mean. I'm wondering to what extent do we also have to be careful of Bell Pottinger type messaging, you know, white monopoly Mm -hmm. capital, one forgets that it was created by an agency sitting somewhere and that narrative now has a life of
1: its own. Absolutely. So that's really the message. You've got to understand the power of the words that we both absorb and the words that we share and the words that we speak, whether it's verbally or through social media, because they are so very powerful and they do change the way we interact with each other. They change the sentiment, they change the way we feel about each other, and they break down on trust. So we have been having this conversation quite a lot this week saying, what went <laughs> wrong last year? And the the truth is that it's it's a breakdown in trust that has gone so wrong Mm. for so many countries. Mm. And countries that have had more a greater Uh, degree of social trust have fared much better in times of Uh. crisis. And trust is like waiting, which is something we we all all can understand after the festive season and a particularly long lockdown it's a lot easier to maintain a healthy weight than it is to lose weight after you've you know really overindulved Mm. same thing with trust it's much easier to maintain than to rebuild Mm. and unfortunately when we start seeing things like fake news conspiracy and the bell postage scandal is an excellent example for the South African whole context is that our trust in our communities, our trust in our leaders, our trust in each other has mm. been so far eroded, mm. it's very, very difficult to build that back. Wow. That's another challenge to everyone we're listening to, and I'd say particularly for South Africans. Yeah. So we have to learn how to trust each other again. That, very, very difficult. That, that for
0: me, is the, the, the bingo moment. Work our way out. That 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 for me is what I'm taking away from today. I thank you so much for that because it's it it just makes everything sensible. So it's the, the erosion of trust that makes us mm. difficult to to even move beyond a certain point. It's the erosion of trust that makes it difficult for us to hear each other. It is the erosion of trust that made the conversation we had before you started um, mm. so difficult because at, at the point where trust is eroded, it doesn't actually matter what you say. Um, you know, it's, it's just too late
1: uh, for a conversation yeah.
0: to move ahead.
1: There's no shortcuts, absolutely. But trust starts with yourself. You have to first trust yourself to make good choices. You have to trust your own judgment. That means you have to stop relying on your peer group, your particular sort of social or political ideology, or a leadership group or a central authority to make decisions for you. If you're able to trust your own judgment, that's of course the first step. So I do think it really does come down to to first trusting yourself, then trusting your colleagues, your friends, your peers, and your suppliers, and your supply chain if you're in the business context, and moving upwards on there. Because unfortunately, that's the hard work. as I said, like losing weight, you've got to take the first step. You have to get on the road. There's no shortcut yeah. to fixing where we are, to fixing trust and to fixing our conversations we have, moving past fake news and bad narratives.
0: Well, it's such an interesting conversation. Bronwyn, how do people join? I know that you've got to pay, I think it's
1: 150 per head. How do they join the webinar? Yeah, so if you can go over to community, they've got banners up everywhere there. (laughs) Or you can go over to their rent page there. And it'll say, very clearly, any sort of Trends 2021. And Terry and the team there will absolutely help you if you have any problems.
0: Thank you so much for talking to us, Bronwyn. Thank you. Thank you. Bronwyn Williams is a futurist and economist, and uh, she's also a business trends analyst at Flux Trends. And as she said, just go to Biz Community um, to join that conversation. It will happen on the 28th of January.